0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in Little Wing, the new original movie starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Rated PG-13. Stream it now exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Try it free at ParamountPlus.com. This is Fresh Air. I'm Tanya Mosley. And today my guest is comedian Maria Bamford. She's written a new memoir called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. It's a hilarious account of some of the extreme steps Bamford has taken to belong from earnestly taking advice from self-help books to attending debtors' and overeaters' anonymous meetings.
1: Here's what I love about these meetings. Number one, free. Number two, free! Number three, they can't kick you out. That's one of the main rules of the cult. So even if I go to a meeting with a full bottle of Jack Daniels and I'm eating an ice cream cake with a stolen porn DVD... nobody will ever say to me is keep coming back <laughs> <laughs> that was a
0: clip from maria bamford's comedy album crowd pleaser which complements her new memoir bamford is known for making fun of her mental illnesses including her bipolar 2 disorder the netflix original series lady dynamite which aired for 2 seasons was loosely based on her life In 2014, Bamford was awarded Best Club Comic at the American Comedy Awards and Breakout Comedy Star at the Montreal Comedy Festival. Her other comedy specials include The Maria Bamford Show and Unwanted Thought Syndrome. In Season 4 of Arrested Development, she played Debris Bardot, Tobias Funke's love interest. Bamford is also a voice actor, starring in several animated series including BoJack Horseman, Adventure Time, and Word Girl. Her new memoir, again, is titled, Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. Maria Bamford, welcome back to Fresh Air.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. I'm delighted. I want
0: to play a clip from Crowd Pleaser where you talk about cults in the context of 12-step groups. Let's listen.
1: They're very weird. Uh, They're very weird, pseudo-spiritual, paternalistic Judeo-Christian language, uh, the, thou, he, him, etc. Peer counseling, it was a terrible idea. Uh, My husband went, (laughs) I brought my husband to one of the meetings and he said, these people need professional help. (laughs) Yes! Yes, they do. (laughs) And yet, none is forthcoming. And so here we are in this Zoom breakout room.
0: That's Maria Bamford from her new comedy album, Crowd Pleaser. And Maria, you're using this term cult loosely. I guess really there is a fine line between self-help and joining a cult.
1: Yeah, well, I mean... I think every. I I mean, with the. uh, I think I put the definition at the beginning of the book of that it's just a a group of people with a unique set of beliefs. So I think sometimes I don't always realize when I'm adhering to a set of uh, beliefs that are odd. You know that not everybody is. Uh, You know I think uh, show business is definitely sort of a a cult uh, thing. We. uh, I live in Los Angeles and. And, you know, it's not questioned of like, if if your business calls, you do, you do whatever they say. Whatever it takes, right? Yeah. Yeah. As if it's a minor God. And uh, uh, yeah, so, but everyone's on strike. So I guess (laughs) there is no God.
0: Well, how many 12-step programs have you been a part of? And and what do you like most about them?
1: I've been to, uh, I think around five. um, And I just want to say that is one of the main cult rules. You're not supposed to say publicly which groups you attend, uh, which my joke is that's impossible for me. I tell everybody everything, which is preventative honesty. Uh, if I tell you every single thing about myself, you can't at a later date say, but, oh, I believe I was very clear on my second album, third track. But, uh, yeah, I've <laughs> been, uh, in, uh, have attended, uh, uh, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, Al-Anon, which is for friends and family of alcoholics. I've been to Alcoholics Anonymous mostly just to their, uh, meetings just when I'm out of town, just as a place to, to, to go and, um, see some, have some face-to-face, F-to-F, uh, it, because I do believe for me, anyways, is this is how I use these groups, is it's cognitive, behavioral, Therapy, or just the the healing eye contact of other individuals, uh, talking in a place that's authentic and trying to do something more positive with their lives, and it's also harm reduction. If I'm in uh, in my in a church basement for ninety minutes, uh, that's ninety minutes. I won't be alone in a hotel room uh, mm-hmm. compulsively ordering nitro cold brew. Oh, my God. I think I've heard, like, I've heard,
0: um, I think it was Mike Tyson who said he goes to every city he goes to, the first thing he does is find a 12-step. And it doesn't even matter what kind of group it is. He will go and sit in
1: it. Yeah. That's that same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really comforting. And there is, one of the things they always say in these groups is take what you want, leave the rest. Um, there's no, requ- the only requirement. Uh, for membership is a desire to stop doing whatever the nonsense the group is about. Um, so it's all about just a desire. You don't even have to stop <laughs> doing the thing, which I love. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a very uh, welcoming space. It reminds me a lot of open mics, comedy open mics. Mm. Um, if you've ever been to a comedy open mic, there's mm-hmm. a bucket, and you put your name in the bucket, and then... Um, you get to go up and talk about whatever you want, uh, for usually it's three to five minutes if you're in a major city. Uh, but I, I really like that democratic process where, uh, no one's in charge. And, uh, even if you're saying something awful, you know, <laughs> like people are going to
0: go, all right. It is pretty hilarious how you describe the differences in the people who are part of these twelve-step groups. So, for instance, you're part of Overeaters Anonymous. Of course, they're different than those who are part of Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous.
1: Yes, yeah. So there's all well. There's a vibe to every single group that you go to. So there's, you know, always just different personalities. Um, I would say in the South, sometimes there's more of a Christian element. People will mention. Uh, Christian uh things more often uh but yeah Overeaters Anonymous is is more often women though uh not always uh, you know definitely there's men who suffer from eating disorders Um uh, but it's, it's more of a quiet vibe. Also, I want to say more sorrowful, you know, because there's this loss and there aren't any mm-hmm. snacks too at the meeting, right. which is something that it was always snacks at NA and AA. Now, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, uh, is, there's the, f- there's, at least this is my experience, is it's kind of like, uh, a club when all the lights come on at the end of the night and, uh, you go, Oh, oh, that's who I've been talking to. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> and everyone's got that, everyone's vibe, everyone's got a vibe. Like everyone's, um, has those beautiful eyes that you look into and you kind of lose yourself in. That, those are the kind of people, uh, including myself. And I include myself in that group. Uh, I used to try to seduce people. Shifting
0: gears a little bit, Maria, the first cult you joined as you write in this book was your family. And I want to offer my condolences on the death of your father, who died while you were writing this memoir, and your mom, who passed away a few years ago. We really got to know them in a way through your comedy.
1: Yes. they. I I miss them every single day. And um, I, I think I didn't realize like how uh especially until they died and i'm sure this happens to many people like how much i really f- followed their um their philosophies um my mom i my mom used to always i always felt like she always got the perfect thing like she knew what was perfect and she got got the perfect you know knew knew the right thing for everything and uh then i realized after she passed she just chose to see everything she got as the perfect, right thing. Like, you know, if I'm holding this pen in the recording studio, oh, this is wonderful. Well, it doesn't have a cap, but you don't need a cap, you know, because you're going to be writing, you know, you just don't need a cap. There's no need. Can you just use it? This is, gosh, of course they have a Prismacolor premiere. (laughs) You know, because this is classy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, she was very, very positive and had very strong opinions about, you know, but she would say, as soon as she met somebody, she would be on board, like Tanya Mosley. Have you met her? Oh, my God, she's darling and so gifted. And she's out of Detroit, and we have family from there. And so, you know, she's good people, you know. Would she <laughs> try to um, introduce me to family? Would that be oh, something God. she would do? She would, she would amp you up to the next person she met. Like, so she yeah. would have your information, then she'd have Google, you know, Google you, tell, tell everybody. Um, she was a hype man uh, for everyone. The number one
0: thing that every cult has is a masterful leader. And oh, in right. your family, you write that your mom was the leader. So aside sure. from her, like, making everything good and she had a positive outlook,
1: what made her the leader? She, well, she had the enthusiasm for everything. So she was delighted by everything and... uh and she had some strong – yeah, just she loved to travel. She loved um, she loved things that were sh- – I mean, part of the reason I got into show business, she loved things that were shiny, like fame and prestige, uh, things like uh, – she liked to win. She liked the idea mm-hmm. of people who were the best. Um, mm-hmm. Like, so my sister, when she became a physician, I think that was a real – piece of tinfoil for my mother's nest, um, as well as, you know, when I have experienced any level of success, she likes to, she she was very excited by that. And I would def- my sister and I definitely bring her stuff to go, is this good enough? <laughs> and is this going to make the cut? That type of
0: person, the person who is absolute in their thoughts, their opinions, there is something to their opinion that you really value because when they like something, it kind of showers over you. It's like, OK, I know this is good because they said. So your mom, for instance, like she had lots of opinions and analysis, as you said. So, oh, like, yeah. Delta, Delta, Delta Airlines Del- is good. Del- American, Del- not so good. N- not good. And <laughs> yeah. it's
1: like it's- I mean, how true is, I don't know. Nordstrom is wonderful, and Nordstrom Rack. Are you kidding me? I mean, (laughs) I don't know what's going on in there, but don't do it. Don't waste your time. One thing that you've been very open about is your
0: intrusive thoughts. I think you actually talked about it quite a bit the last time you were on the show with Terry. Terry. And basically, it's a form of OCD where these thoughts come into your head and then they can be overwhelming because you ruminate on them, especially Mm -hmm. when you were younger and you were a child. You didn't have coping mechanisms. Um, Can
1: you describe it, that loop? Sure. Um, So... It's like everybody has these thoughts that kind of pass through your head. Like, um, I know Jake Johansson is a comedian who had, had this joke like, do you ever look at your dog's butt and go, that's kind of sexy. Like, like <laughs> oh it, which he gets, it was something, I'm not sure, I'm probably misquoting that, but it was something like, like that. these yeah. weird thoughts that just come into your head where you're like, oh, oh, whoa, well, that was weird. Now, somebody who is anxious who is prone to OCD might say, "I just had the most monstrous thought that my dog's butt looks sexy. That means something mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. I've got to get. I got to make sure I never have that thought again." Now, if you do have an OCD, or, you know, brain, then what might happen is that then you start doing things because the thought will never go away, you start avoiding dogs. Like, you start mm. not going anywhere near dog parks, going you you maybe uh, adopt your dog out. Like, you really are tormented by this anxiety, though you've never acted out on it, though it's not something that you actually feel about your dog. Like, it's like... It, it, it's a fear based thing of something that you fear is going to happen um so one of the one of the primary uh, uh ways of treating it is exposure response prevention so here's another intrusive thought like sometimes people have a fear that they're going to uh hurt somebody like push somebody into the subway um Okay, so they never take the subway, and that's their, uh, all of a sudden they've started avoiding all these things, um, uh, so that they they make sure that they never push anybody to the subway, uh, even though they've never done that before. They have no plans to do it. They that's desperately don't want to do that. So that's why they're even maybe not even going out, maybe <laughs> staying in their apartment, uh, so that they avoid hurting people. So one of the exposure response prevention things might be you go with your therapist to the subway. Your sub your therapist stands in front of you on the subway flat platform, and then you just stand there, uh, and you could push your therapist into the subway. <laughs> but the whole thing is the realization that you don't. Have you ever gone through this type of Yes. Therapy? Yes. Yeah. What was it for? What was the fear? Um, It was – I was – Uh, Since the age of 10, I have had these fears that I was going to hurt other people that I love or uh, they began when uh, alongside uh, my sister gave me these. It's something where kids, they start doing it usually in junior high where they give uh, twists to somebody's nipples and they do it to boys, girls, etc. My sister had it done to her. She did it to me. And I felt super freaked out <laughs> and thought, Oh, what if now I'm going to do that to other people? Um, I got very anxious. Um, then I, I watched a lot of TV as a kid. I read a lot of books. So I got more creative. That's part of OCD imagination is that some of the, uh, the obsessions or fears get very weird. I got afraid that I was going to become a serial killer, that I would kill my friends and family. Um, I would avoid knife drawers, that type of thing. I started staying up all night uh, and kind of sitting up, uh, sitting on my hands to prevent myself from doing anything uh, violent. And the uh, yeah i tried to tell my mother about what was happening in my brain and she was like honey it's okay if you're gay and that <laughs> brought a whole whole slew of new other uh, obsessions and fears and it's kind of whatever is taboo in your culture that's what you're going to be afraid of of uh acting on so if, so if there's religious obsessions there's um ethical obsessions there's uh, one that's very common is with um, new mothers who have that they're afraid the they're going to hurt their baby Absolutely. or yeah. there's OCD, pe- pedophilia OCD, where you're afraid that despite having never acted out on it, despite having no desire to, having no sociopathy, you are afraid that you are a, a pedophile. So you uh, start to avoid being with children it, so that it runs again like all over the place it can be anything it 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 destroys the things you love that that is what ocd does that's powerful that it
0: destroys the things you love And your mind can't turn this off. So you have to find coping mechanisms. Because I think to a certain extent, like we've always heard that every thought we have is okay. Even the craziest, most insane thoughts are okay, as long as you don't act on every thought. But if there's an intense fear that you're going to act on it, then it, it takes away your joy. People can talk to you about that because you've opened the door with your intrusive thoughts. But right. These are not these are not thoughts that we can just share with everyday people. Like you have this lens into people's minds, you know. No.
1: uh, And you can get. um, uh, Yeah. Be careful who you share uh, intrusive thoughts with if they have any, they need to have some OCD background um, therapy. I once was kept in the psych ward for 10 extra days uh, because I tried to explain to the psychiatrist. He, the weekend psychiatrist had asked me, was like, Oh, what's your history? And so I explained to him and I was hypomanic. So I was kind of excited to explain to him what uh, intrusive thoughts OCD was. And he was like, mm, "No, nope, you're, you're a danger to uh, others. And so he locked me down for 10 days. Also, um, I went to a therapist who did not have any experience with OCD. And uh i basically paid her 75 bucks to call the police uh she she cashed that check uh and the cops didn't come because we're in los angeles and uh they're too busy uh but uh yeah so it's it's not always uh people can be very frightened or disturbed by you sharing uh something something that they don't understand
0: Our guest today is comedian Maria Bamford, talking about her memoir, Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. We'll be right back. I'm Tanya Mosley, and this is Fresh Air.
2: This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the wallet app, and you're good to go. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The past is shrouded in mystery. To understand it, you have to get up close.
3: Something happened to our collective psyche. After the Atom Bomb.
2: On NPR's Throughline, we reopen stories from the past to find clues to the present. Find Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I'm Fresh Air's
1: Anne Marie Baldonado back in your feed to promote a special bonus episode that appeared on Fresh Air Plus. Who are your fans now? Are they people who grew up with your records, or are there a lot of younger people who are the age now that you were when you started recording?
3: Mostly old folks, home-type people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seniors. Clean-up oh. crews.
1: As we wrap up our week of rebroadcasts, celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, we included some outtakes left out of our show featuring interviews with De La Soul and the Beastie Boys. Didn't catch this episode? There's still time. Join Fresh Air Plus at plus.npr.org and go behind the scenes every week.
0: This is Fresh Air. I'm Tanya Mosley. And today we're talking to comedian and actor Maria Bamford. She's written a new memoir titled Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. Bamford also has a new comedy album called Crowd Pleaser. Both are about her life in show business, mental health, and the comfort of rigid belief systems. I want to talk about um, something you joke about often, and it falls loosely under this talk about cults, and that is what you call the Temple of Finn. Um, yes. So there is this story in your stand-up where you talk about the last days of your mother's life when she was in hospice, and in it, you, of course, impersonate her voice as you do so well. Um, let's listen to a bit
1: i was positive to the end. You know, I mean, the great thing about this whole thing is this is the first time in my life I've been below goal weight on Weight Watchers.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mom, you do know that even if a coffin is tight around the hips, eventually it fits. <laughs> Honey, do not do that one. That is not a good one. <laughs> But the joke's on me because she got herself cremated and now she's just a pound. She can wear anything.
0: (laughs) That was Maria Bamford from her comedy album, Crowd Pleaser. Okay, so, I mean, listening to that joke, all I could think was, I hope to God that I am not still worrying about my weight. When I am right. on my deathbed. Right. And yet, and yet, right. I see the satisfaction of finally getting to your goal weight. Is that horrible no. to say? <laughs> no.
1: It is bizarre. And I think that is sort of like the, I, I mean, I love, I love my mom so much. and she, But she, that was kind of her, one of her hobbies or like basically Every day, she would write down her weight and um, had journals and journals of, and 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 she was an active person. Like it didn't disable her; it didn't like take her out of the game. She was very uh, would totally do stuff. Like she, her, if she had disordered eating, it wasn't um, didn't make her life small or anything. She just was kind of always upset about her weight. Um, do you think you it think was the mark of her generation too? It seems like
0: they were very weight conscious in the way of writing down your weight every day, that kind of thing, weighing yourself every day.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's gone away. I just think, I mean, I think there is a lot more body positivity. But, um, yeah, I think it's definitely still a thing, for, at least for some people I know, you know. And um, But as I get older, I'm, I'm hoping that I do have less interest in that stuff um, but it's hard because it is it was set in me early and even my dad my dad part of the reason he died I think was depression um, mm. and he also got very obsessed and I don't know if this is the thing with dementia of trying to he was he was worried that he was going to get fat and mm. um, had anyways he was five ten probably like a hundred and Twenty pounds, um, and he got COVID, and he passed. Uh, partially because his body just didn't have any extra to to maintain him on. He was very weak. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, being thin, but that was a major value in our family. Was my mom was always on a diet, always no. No butter, no like yeah, no sugar or in the house, like bananas
0: yeah you you write and you talk quite a bit um about your own eating disorder and that magical number that you're always looking for on the scale, um the five pound difference between that number and the the number that then gets you worried. It's just really interesting how you say as you get older maybe that grip has lifted a little bit. Does it feel different? Is the obsession, does it lessen? I,
1: I hope so. I don't, I think it's kind of like a, I mean, that's the other thing I like about 12-step groups is like, it is kind of a day at a time. Like I, I can go back into the, yeah, into that freak out uh, immediately uh, if, I, if I wish. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that as I deteriorate uh, and it's – yeah, that, it, that it's – I'll be more accepting of myself and also spend more time thinking about other things, other things.
0: Let's take a short break. If you're just joining us, my guest is comedian and actor Maria Bamford. She's written a new book called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. It's a memoir about mental illness and the quest to belong. We'll continue our conversation after a short break. This is Fresh Air.
2: This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely
0: friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Caitlin, a teen reeling from her parents' divorce, steals a valuable
3: bird in order to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner that leads her to a new outlook on life. Don't miss Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus, Rated PG-13. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Support for this podcast comes from the Neubauer Family Foundation, supporting WHYY's fresh air and its commitment to sharing ideas and encouraging meaningful conversation.
0: In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. I want to talk a little bit about this other big taboo topic that you joke a lot about, and that is suicidal thoughts. You write, that thinking about suicide feels more like fantasy football to you. Can you explain mm. this?
1: Yeah, I think it was always a comfort to me. And I think to many people, like, it's just sort of a passing thought of there's only been one time in my life, and that was about 10 years ago, what the TV show was based on, where I really I felt I had lost myself and was just uh, really wanted to die. I mean, really... Um, every moment was uh untenable unbearable and so i've i've had that experience um at other points in my life i have not been somebody who's acted out on uh my suicidal ideation uh i've i've definitely felt extremely depressed and uh wanted to escape but i think it's been more of a an escape valve for me of I feel so terrible. I wish this would stop. Um, mm-hmm. I know that uh, with other people with suicidal uh, ideation and/or impulses, that it's 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 dangerous, and that people, you know, uh, it's more impulsive. Um, I don't right. have that experience, so I don't want to speak to that. Um, but. I've only been in that in that situation once where I got 5150 where I was like and that's when you're they say you're of danger to yourself and to others. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so and I was put in the hospital, which I was grateful for because I one thing that is I'm sure anyone who takes medication uh, will, will know this is, of course, the. Clinicians will send you home with so many meds. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not well, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the amount I had uh, warehoused, uh, you know, a ton of pills um, at a certain point and uh, was thinking of utilizing them just because I just didn't have the, uh, didn't believe that things were going to get any better. And, and, uh, and I think it is hard to believe that uh, yeah. when you're feeling so so terrible. Right.
0: The irony, though, of, of you being suicidal yeah. and then being <laughs> given a whole lot of medications as you're being discharged, right? Um, you know, I feel like as the person receiving a joke about suicide ideation, it's kind of a hard position to be in because at least for me, I immediately go into all hands on deck intervention mode. If anyone mm. says an offhanded joke or a comment about wanting to end their life, how does one know the difference? Like how do you know the difference between your friends who might have dark humor like yourself versus, you know, a real cry for help?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's about actually asking you know, like I mean, if if you really genuinely are concerned about somebody, you can say. I, mean, I know I I get comments on YouTube. Oh, this is a cry for help, you know. And uh, fair enough, uh, I'm glad that they care. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, but I I think yeah, it, it it's about uh, asking because I. I definitely, I just took a, a peer specialist training uh, a class through the Painted Brain here in Los Angeles, and you can train to be a peer specialist. It's usually 80 to 90 hours of training. Uh, all you need to have is lived experience with mental health or uh, drug or alcohol addiction, and there's many uh, jobs that are available uh, nationwide in these positions uh, to help um it's a different uh, experience from when they just call the cops. Now they call these psychiatric emergency teams, and hmm. so a peer specialist will off, often go with them or often uh, answering suicide hotlines, et cetera. Um, but that's something you can train to do, the, and it's a, a fairly good wage. So I like to tell people about that. Um, I just got Was certified. Was this always past- something
0: you wanted to do, or what made you
1: decide to be certified? Um, well, I, yeah, I, I, would well, like to be more useful. Like, I'd like to be, it, it, cause sometimes people come to comedy clubs and that's where you can access somebody to tell, tell that you're not doing well, you know, mm. about, it, it, it's easier to come to a show than it is to get in to be seen by anybody. Um, you know, I, I, I get it. Uh, so, uh,
0: But I'm also thinking about your audience probably gravitates to you because they know, you know, this is a space where these topics are talked about in a way that is open. It allows them space. So you are interacting with people who might be dealing with real challenges.
1: Yeah. And which I'm pumped for. You know, I am. I love. Yes. Yes. Please, please come to the show by yourself. I will sign your pill bottle. I will. (laughs) I'm often assigned. I'm an assignment from a therapist sometimes. But, oh, but from the peer specialist thing, one of their philosophies is as peers is that it's it's um, centered on what the person wants. Like, so even if someone is suicidal, it's like really listening to what they need instead of like going into this panicked, well, we've got to get all hands on deck. And it's like, are you even listening to the person, mm-hmm. you know, like, and what they what's going on for them? What could they possibly need in this moment instead of this? uh uh, y- yes, call 911, you know, that, that can be helpful, though sometimes from, I've had many f- friends who have said, uh, th- was not helpful, and in fact can get you killed, uh, right. depending on what, what, what neighbor you live in, what color your skin is, you know, so it's not, or whatever your mental health, uh, diagnosis is. Sometimes people with certain behaviors, uh, it's, are, are, uh, it can be hurt or killed. Um, so, yeah, and that's
0: why there is the just I just want to step in to say that if anyone's struggling with thoughts of suicide, you can call. There's a specific number for suicide and crisis um, hotline it's 988, so not 911. 988 is the number to call. Yeah.
1: 988, and also to let people know that when you call 988 or text 988, you know, there is can be a wait time. It's also a human being on the phone. So, you know, if you don't like who you talk to, <laughs> call again. Like, there's that help is out there and it may not be perfect. Like, because c- I think that sometimes... Um, <sighs> I think that can feel kind of hopeless. Like if you talk to somebody who doesn't understand what you're talking about or but it's it's just like any service, like hang up, call again. Mm. You know, if it's sometimes there's a 45 minute wait during peak surge hours for nine, eight, eight. Yeah. So just keep calling, you know, and I I mean, I joke about this, but call. Anybody, And I'm swearing, but call anybody, call any local business, talk to somebody on the phone, say what you're doing. Like, do not limit yourself to these, because I think sometimes that that makes me feel sad when it's sort of like everything's put off on these, like, well, take care of yourself, Uh, call the suicide hotline, Uh, you know, do it, you know, and it's like, yeah, just, it just doesn't have to be a, a professional. You said that
0: you love to go where the love is, um, meaning you don't like to bomb either. There's a sense that, um, for me, I know when looking at your career trajectory, that you go where your audience is. So how how would you describe your core audience, the folks who know and love you and come to your shows?
1: Um, I I guess anybody... Yeah, usually people who are uh, you know don't like to drink too much because once you drink too much then uh it's I, I got too many words in there and um then I think kind of fellow uh, you know weirdos like in terms of creative people have dreams, um dreamers, dreamers and uh people with mental health ex- experiences or friends and family of and i know that sometimes comedians come see me and go huh and then <laughs> 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 that uh yeah i i i think it, it, I, it, that's my favorite i do like performing for other comedians cuz that's really the best. how come? yeah um just that i mean well if i bomb it's a it's that's so sad i just bombed i don't do benefits anymore Uh, Because what happens with the benefit, Tanya, is that uh, the person who hires you is a big fan. Uh, The person who's trying to raise money for schizophrenia research, huge fan, because he has schizophrenia. We see eye to eye, right on. The people he's trying to get money from are a bunch of winos in Napa Valley, California. So who opens up? Uh, Yamanika Saunders, who is a tremendous powerhouse. She destroys kills. Then she brings me up. Uh, I do about 15 minutes. People begin clapping in a way that suggests that they either hope I'm done or think that I'm done. (laughs) I have to explain to them, I got 15 more minutes I'm contracted to do. My apologies. I'm also disappointed. And then I bring up the last act, who is always the right act for every room. And that man is Mister Howie Mandel, uh, oh. but there's but there's no need for me to do benefits anymore because uh yeah there's I have you ever been at something to raise money uh, where you have to suffer through a uh, creative <laughs> act on behalf of Parkinson's like what's happening? Rich people just put all your money in a pile. There's, we don't have to put a show on. <laughs>
0: Maria Bamford, thank you so much for this
1: conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Maria Bamford is a comedian and author of the new memoir, Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, the automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares how Betterment's
1: innovation can help Americans save. The real innovation for Betterment about a decade ago was taking a set of tools that were used by the ultra-wealthy and making them accessible to the average investor. And that includes tax strategies, that includes dollar-cost averaging, that includes taking a long-term view and not getting distracted by market volatility. These are all sort of tricks of the trade. And what Betterment did is they basically said, no matter the amount of money you have, it's always good to be invested. It's always good to start early. It's always good to save. And the power of being consistent in your habits is really the path to long-term wealth.
0: Learn more about automated investing and saving at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Face to Face is a Danish crime series whose three seasons are shown on the Nordic streaming service via play. In the new one, which dropped last week, a real estate tycoon discovers that his protege has been murdered and sets out to figure out who did it. Our critic at large, John Powers, says it's a well-oiled thriller that hooked him from beginning to end.
3: It's one of the amusing paradoxes of popular culture that Scandinavia has very few murders. yet probably leads the world in murder mysteries. It just keeps churning out a seemingly endless supply of what's called Nordic noir. From the groundbreaking 60s procedurals by Maj Wall and Per to today's crime novels by Yo Nesbo and Camilla Lockberg, to international TV hits like The Killing and The Bridge. The noir spirit occupies the center of Viaplay, a relatively new streaming service that specializes in Nordic television. I've watched a bunch of their crime shows, several of them good, and the one I've enjoyed the most is Face to Face, a neatly turned Danish thriller whose protagonists, different in each season, attempt to solve a murder over the course of eight half-hour episodes. The third and final season just dropped, and it's a real humdinger. Imagine if Logan Roy from Succession had to solve a murder. Lars Mikkelsen, who you'll know from Borgen and House of Cards, stars as real estate baron Holger Long, a smart, heartless developer with a graying beard as forbidding as he is. As the action begins, he gets sent footage of his young protege, Christina, being stabbed to death. Burning to figure out who did it, he rushes to his office and begins questioning his scruffy, ne'er-do-well brother, Marcus, a wounded soul played with great feeling by Pilo Asbeck from Game of Thrones and also Borgen. Could Marcus have set up Christina's murder? Things get really nasty, and Holger stalks out, following a lead he's gotten from Marcus. In each of the next seven episodes, Holger meets someone new—his lawyer, his business rival, the chief of police, etc., and engages in long talks that feel more like inquisitions than conversations. As the twists multiply and the action builds to an ending that Ross MacDonald might have appreciated— Holger comes to realize that there are a great many things about his life and his relationships with other people about which he's been ruinously wrong. While the show's writer and director for Christopher Boa conceived face-to-face before the pandemic, its conceit is perfect for a world in which one doesn't want a lot of people on set. With a couple of exceptions, each episode focuses on essentially two characters talking. We watch Holger circle around so many mistrusts, grilling them, pouncing on their lies, and in return having them fight back with stinging rejoinders and questions of their own. The show's format is not as austere as it may sound. The great Hong Kong director Wong Kar Wai once remarked that TV is dialogue, and he's right. Forget about Flying Dragons and those boring action scenes they used to pad out episodes of Jack Ryan and all those Marvel series. Even in big-budget shows, people's favorite moments are nearly always the two-handers, filled with talk that reveals character. Walter and Jesse arguing in Breaking Bad. Jamie and Brian becoming unexpectedly close in Game of Thrones. Pastry whiz Marcus making a personal connection with Will Poulter's Copenhagen-based chef in The Bear. The talk in Season 3 of Face to Face sucks you right in, in no small part because every single performance is excellent starting with the portrayal of Holger, whose blend of acuity and blindness Mickelson reveals with seismographic precision. Angrily protecting his empire and his sense of himself, he's positively Sherlockian in his ability to take a seemingly random factor statement and tease out its hidden meaning. Yet even as Holger's brilliant, he's often stunned to realize that nobody is quite who he thought they were. Now, ever since Sophocles wrote Oedipus Rex, the best mystery stories have featured heroes who don't merely discover the truth about a murder, but the truth about themselves. And that's what happens in Face to Face, whose heroes go on a journey of self-discovery. I'm not about to compare this series to Greek tragedy. Nobody will be watching Holger's story in 2,500 years. But it does remind us of an ancient truth. The biggest mystery of all is the self. John Powers reviewed the new season of Face to Face,
0: now streaming on Viaplay. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, Grammy and Oscar award-winning music producer, DJ, and multi-instrumentalist Mark Ronson. His latest project is Barbie the Album, the soundtrack for the fantasy comedy film Barbie. I hope you can join us. up with what's on the show and to get highlights of our interviews, follow us on Instagram at NPR Fresh Air. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallet, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Simon, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Teresa Madden, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yacundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.B. Nesper. Roberta Shorok directs the show. For Terry Gross, I'm Tanya Mosley. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shipbob. E commerce logistics making you question why you started your business? Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at Shipbob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com.
1: Shipbob.